Good morning, Valley Baptist Church. I'm not able to be with you this morning. In our ongoing struggle with COVID, uh, I have definitely been exposed. And um, if I'm speaking to you, I probably already tested positive. So uh, continue to pray for one another and continue to practice uh, uh, safe social distancing, all of those kinds of things as we worship the Lord together uh, in spirit and in truth, even if we can't be together. And so today I want to share with you our message uh, from God's Word um, over our recording. I'm so thankful that we've learned how to do this better and better. Uh, so we are continuing our series as we study about Jesus as a disciple maker, how he is our model for all that we do in life and in ministry. Uh, so let's pray together. Father, speak for, through your word this morning. Continue to teach us how to follow your son. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to share this with you. I'll tell you, I don't know if this is you, but are you ready for spring break? Are you ready for summer break? Are you ready for maybe retirement or sabbatical? Or uh, maybe some of our young people are saying, oh, I just want to get it through with high school and have a gap year. Never even heard of a gap year before, but uh, mental health days, that's kind of new. Or just ready for a, a, a weekend. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'll take two. I'll take two of all of them. Uh, I think I'm so ready uh, for some kind of a vacation or a break. But here's what's interesting. Research shows us that often retirees or people that really have not a lot to do are less satisfied. Uh, they are maybe unhappy. We, it's almost like we've been created for work. We've been created to do things. And sometimes I think we get into maybe a myth, a myth that even in church, that our church life is supposed to be somehow uh, easy, effortless. Um, it's not supposed to be a challenge. Uh, here's some things, how to make volunteering easy. I'm not sure that volunteering is ever easy. Um, I think we always have a bit of a struggle in life, and it's not supposed to necessarily be easy. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus, he is the one that we proclaim. We admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In our disciple-making series, that's a key verse. We're seeking to make people fully mature in Christ. We're trying to help people grow in their knowledge, in their character, in their competencies. They are learning to walk and be like Jesus. But don't miss verse 29. What does Paul say? To this end. For this purpose, going towards this goal, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The Apostle Paul is quick uh, to remind us that we, as God's people, are called to work at discipleship. That this is something that God does in us and through us. He empowers us in his Holy Spirit. That as we gather as believers, as we do the work of the ministry in the church, as we seek to help others grow in their walk with God, it's work. It's work. It takes energy. Um, it takes spiritual energy, God empowering us, because we've got all the other obligations in our lives. We've got school, we've got work, we've got family obligations. And so those of us who are called, and that's all of us who are believers, called to make disciples, called to help in the work of the ministry, we are called to work. 
I don't know. That doesn't sound very encouraging to me always. I don't know, especially this time of the year. I'm thinking, really? Work more? I mean, well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, have you ever raised a child? Have you ever trained a new employee? Have you ever taught students? Have you ever supported, that might mean, I know my wife always calls it training a spouse. Have you ever helped your spouse in certain ways? Uh, have you ever corrected a character defect in yourself or others work to that end? Look, discipleship is work. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul says, I always remember your work prompted by faith and your labor inspired by love. It's work. It's labor. These are things that, that happen if change is going to occur in people's lives, if they're going to grow in their knowledge of God. But some of you might be quick to say, but Pastor Mike, I've been working all week. I'm exhausted. I, I have to work everywhere else. I mean, life is so full of things. I, I just wanted to come to a place where I could sit quietly or, or lift up my hands or sing praises. I, I just need a place to rest and replenish. I mean, didn't Jesus say my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's very true. Uh, God does replenish. God does reflect or refresh. And so often we need to have a place where we come and have our souls refresh. And so often that is amongst God's people in those times of worship or in Bible study together. But even so, even while those refreshment times come, there's also times when we got to do our part. We've got to play our role in the body of Christ. We have to contribute to the needs and the work of others. It's, it's not been an easy time. That's true. But sometimes, I'll be honest, my refreshment, my energy comes when I see the calling of God and when I engage in his work. It actually helps me renew my strength. Well, here's the deal. Let's take a look at Jesus. He's our model. He's the one we're saying we're trying to be disciple makers like he is. Let's see what he did when it came to work. And let's see how he challenged one particular man in John chapter 5 um, about work and about his religiosity that really was only about himself. So let's take a look at, at John chapter 5 uh, together. It says in verse 1 that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Notice, it was a time of worship. It was a time when the people of God had gathered. It's a time when you were supposed to be at the temple and you were supposed to be engaged in some wonderful um, moments of refreshing, of renewal. And for those who were the ones who ministered there, it was actually some work for them too. It says, and now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. Uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Later, uh, if you notice, there's no verse 4. Later, probably a textual addition, maybe a commentary or a gloss that had been included. These are places where people are trying to help us understand. Uh, in some earlier manuscripts, people had added this idea of, well, it seemed like there was a tradition that the waters in that pool 
would sometimes bubble or stir. And the belief was that maybe an angel had come and touched the waters. And perhaps that if you could get into the waters, uh, be the first one in, you could be healed. This seems sort of odd, and, and I'm not sure how much validity there is to this explanation, um, but, but, it, but it seems to have some credibility. Um, it, it's mixed, and we're not really sure what was going on there. But apparently there was some belief that a healing could occur if someone could get into the water. And this is what was stated uh, by uh, the man in the story, this guy who had been an invalid for 38 years. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I, and what an obvious question. And maybe the guy thought it was an attack, like, well, I'm not, I'm not quick enough to get into the, to, to the waters or something, but do you want to get well? So often, I, I think we would say, well, of course, I, I want to be with my friends and family. I mean, that, that I want to be restored, or I want to be refreshed, or I want to be entertained, or I want to escape life's burdens. Maybe the man had an answer or a thought in those lines that he wanted to, to get back to regular life, that he saw that he had been, been stolen from him, perhaps. But the question that Jesus asked was, do you want to get well? Do you want to have your life truly changed? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm waiting to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Ah, there's the complaint. There's no one to help me. There's no one to take care of my needs. There's no one to meet my felt conditions. Someone else gets in there ahead of me. Now, so often when it comes to church, we want to make it about ourselves. We, well, maybe the teaching isn't what I wanted to hear this week. Maybe the preaching wasn't on what I felt like I need. Maybe the songs didn't speak to me this week. Maybe, oh, oh gosh, you know, I don't, they don't have stuff for my children. They don't have stuff for my team. Sometimes we're thinking, this, is, this doesn't have enough for me. This doesn't have enough for me. And Quite honestly, somebody else ought to be doing it. Someone else ought to help me down into the water. Someone else ought to take care of the things. You know, whenever we have a question like, why is there no coffee? Maybe it's because you didn't help make the coffee. Or why is there no one to help lead with music? Well, maybe that's part of your calling to help lead with music. Or why are there not enough teachers to help with the teens or the children or the youth? Maybe that's part of your calling to come help with the teens and the children and the youth. The idea is that we all have a part to play. But when church becomes just about like something that entertains us, something that we get something out of, and it's only about us and not about service, then I think we miss what God is calling us to. I think we miss the challenge and the opportunity to become Christ's light. Jesus said that he had come to serve, not to be served. If we're gonna be like Jesus, we come with an attitude of service. My wife has often said she gets more out of teaching scripture than she often does uh, hearing it taught to her. Okay, I think, wait a second, I'm the preacher. <laughs> what do you mean you get more out of teaching? But I know she's right. I know she's right. As I prepare, as I interact with scripture, as I get ready to help others understand God's word, it actually helps me grow. I think I'm the one who, who gets the most out of the scriptures. I'm the one who grows in response. 
God has called us to be givers. God has called us to serve in these ways. I, I think it's interesting the man's response. There's no one to help me. Someone else gets in there before me. Someone else is not doing what I think they should be doing. I think we got to turn our attention to ourselves. Well, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, walk. Notice the man had to do something. He had to get up. He had to pick up his own mat and he had to do the walking. At once the man was cured. Didn't say made well, didn't say fully restored, but he was cured. His disease was ended. His legs had been made strong and he picked up his mat and walked. Now the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. It was the day where he should have been at the synagogue. It was the day he should have been in worship. It was the day that he should have been devoting himself in a praise and honor of God. Though we do that every day, he was really called to be with God's people studying scripture but instead he was still concerned about only him. Now when the Jewish leaders saw him and saw this man had been healed, they said, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now just let you know, there is no rule that says you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to walk uh, more than a mile. And that, that was sort of one of their regulations. But once again, um, the Old Testament doesn't have all these regulations that often the Jewish tradition the traditionalists and the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they added extra rules. There's no rule against carrying your mat. There's a rule against working and doing your job, but carrying a mat, that's, is that really work? I'm not so sure it is, but they had perceived that as something that would have been bad and he shouldn't do. So they're condemning him. Hey, you shouldn't be carrying your mat today. The man replied, well, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? It's like, hey, he's, let's, go, let's go confront this false teacher. Let's find him. But the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone had just made me well, I think I would have moved heaven and earth to find out who this was. I, I would have been wanting to be in his presence. I would want to know more about him. I, I would be a passionate pursuer of catching up with, 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 with this healer. Uh, how in the world did he do this? I need to thank him. I, my life has been changed. But this man got what he wanted and he moved on. I think it was just about him. I think he saw religious faith not about a place to be at the synagogue, to hear God's word, to hear it taught. No, he wanted to be at the pool to see if he could get healed. He, he wasn't there to serve and to give whatever gift. Sure, he was an invalid. I get it. I, I, well, maybe I don't understand all that, that goes into that. I, but it didn't mean that he couldn't use his hands. It didn't mean he couldn't use his mind. It didn't mean he couldn't use his mouth. But what he wanted... He got it, but maybe he missed everything. In the scriptures, as the story goes on, it does seem like he missed the main important parts of the story because what does it say? Jesus later found him at the temple and said, see, you're well, but stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away. He told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had made him well. Did he decide to become a follower of Jesus? Did he decide to pursue him? No. 
He went and tattled on Jesus. He went and said, oh, Jesus is the one who did it. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Jesus. Don't be mad at me. Uh, look, 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 I, I, I don't want anything to do with this religious controversy. I don't want anything to do with this potential Messiah. I, I, I just, I wanted to get what I wanted to get. Brothers and sisters, church is not about us. The worship service is not for us. The worship service is for God. It's for us to worship Him. It's for us to seek His face. It's for us to proclaim His greatness to the nations. Worship is not about us. Disciple-making, it's not about us. I'm always appreciative when I get a thank you note or, or someone says, wow, I appreciate how God used you in my life. I, I, I'm thankful for those days. But even if I never got a thank you, disciple-making, ministry, service, helping God's people, it's not about me. It's about the one that I want to glorify. It's about the one I want to serve. It's about the one that I'm supposed to be in love with, Jesus, my Lord. It's about God, the great King. The songs we sing, the words we read in Scripture, the prayers we give, they're never for us. They're for the Lord, and they're for His people. So as we come to serve, our service is an offering. We don't offer bulls and rams and we might offer some money, but we offer our time and our lives as living sacrifices. This is what we're called to do. The story ends up taking a turn, and I find it very interesting that after the man sort of kind of rats out Jesus, so to speak, um, they, they go into a discussion of work. We find in the man's life and we find in our own false substitutes, false substitutes for true discipleship. It might be comfortable religious traditions. That's what these Pharisees were showing. That's what these religious leaders were showing, uh, that they liked their traditions. They wanted to have their festivals. They wanted to have their rules. There was the legalism, right? Don't carry the mat on the Sabbath. That was comfortable for them. They didn't want to have Jesus. The man shows that what he was looking for was superficial healing, something that made him feel good, maybe in his soul. For him, it was his legs, but for others, it's other kinds of healing, but it's superficial, not true life change. And some just want to be able to point the fingers at others, be a critiquer, uh, be, 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 a, be a critic, be one that's, that's offering your opinion about what everybody else ought to be doing instead of real life change in themselves. Do you want to get well? It says, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. But in his defense, Jesus said this, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Did you see it? My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Our Lord Jesus is always at work. <laughs> he did. Now, did he take time with rest? Did he take time to pull away? Did he take time for refreshment with the Father? Absolutely. But that was part of his work. That was part of what he knew he needed to do in order to continue to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. I, too, am working. Jesus was finishing the work. We also need to finish the work. Don't be mistaken, brothers and sisters. God's call on our lives is a call to service. It's a call to service of the king. It's a call to be serving every day, not just occasionally or on Sundays. We have a pandemic, perhaps, not just of COVID, but of apathy. 
in a survey uh, this past year of over a thousand Protestant pastors, um, Lifeway, the, the Southern Baptist uh, uh, publishing house, found that 47% of pastors say that apathy is the number one challenge facing the church today. Did you hear that? Apathy, just not caring, just like, oh, someone will do it. Someone, uh, I guess it doesn't matter. Now, do we need to prune off programs that are not effective? Do we need to let go of things that are just busy work? Absolutely. But apathy. Apathy about God's word. Apathy about um, his work and ministry. Apathy. This week, I was probably discouraged the most and challenged the most when some student leaders in some of the college ministries said, yeah, you know what? It's okay. I'm just, I don't, I'm, I know I'm only halfway through my commitment, but I'm just going to go ahead and drop out. I mean, it's not completely unexpected. It seems like a lot of dropping out happens right now. Things just seem too hard. But having done this long enough, I realized, gosh, we've lowered the bar actually the last several years to make accommodations. The challenge just isn't there. The vision to, to give our lives isn't there. But the vision's the same. The call to pursue Christ, the call to know Him, the call to make disciples, it's the same calling. But for some reason, I don't know, we're lovers of ourselves, we're lovers of pleasure, we're lovers of everything else other than God. We're lovers uh, of, of our own comfort rather than lovers of His call on our lives. We need to return to a place where service is a joy, where service is a privilege, where service, especially in disciple-making, is what our lives end up being about. Well, <clears throat> this challenge and pandemic of apathy goes straight against the scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, We are God's handiwork. Like He made us. What? In Christ Jesus, as these redeemed called people, to do good works that Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. Whether that's being on a worship team, whether that's being in Sunday school, whether that's being an encouragement to a friend, maybe that's visiting a shut-in, whether that's helping in your parenting um, and teaching Bible studies to your children, but we are called to do this work that God's laid out in advance to do. Notice, it's to do good works. In Titus chapter 3, it says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everyone. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are one who has trusted in God, then be careful to devote yourself to doing what is good. Now, some of you today that are listening, maybe you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. You never said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I want to be yours. That's your first step. That's your first step. And maybe today is your day. Would you say yes to Jesus today? For some of us and most of us who have become believers, who have decided to follow Jesus, are you eager to do the good works that Christ has called you to do? Here's what it, here's these phrases that kind of came to my mind this week as I thought of myself. Am I wishing for some of sort of a false comfort that comes from some kind of a complacency or just just kicking back in vacation, 
or am I passionately pursuing the call of Christ-likeness? Is that a daily thing that I want to be like my Savior who was always working? Am I wanting to be like my Lord? Secondly, are, are we flowing with, with these currents of culture that, that just tell us that, hey, what, what we really need is more time off, what we really need is a break, what we really need, or are we completing the course that God has charted out for us, laid out in advance, those good works laid out in advance for us to do. The writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off the sin and everything else that hinders and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and to run the race that he's laid out for us with perseverance. How are you running right now? Is it with passion? Is it with perseverance? Or have we become complacent? Have we lost our first love? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to be in your presence. Thank you for how you remind us that it is in service and in being eager to do what is good, that we've become your people, that we become like your son. Thank you for this life where we can work. And thank you for giving us lot, uh, meaningful work to do. Finish the work in us. Transform us so that we are like your son. We pray all of these things in his name. The name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all.